Okay, good morning, everybody. It's Tony Fleming. This is our 7 a.m. Mindset Call. We do this call every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, 7 a.m. Eastern, 6 a.m. Central, and 4 a.m. Pacific Time. And on this uh, particular call, which is a conference call, uh, we talk about mindset. We talk about, uh, man, mental toughness. We talk about life, talk about success, talk about failure, talk about a lot of things, man. We talk about my guy, Lou, who's actually in the Lorraine Correctional Facility up in Ohio. Uh, we talk about that. Matter of fact, we, I got I got another clip today that I'm playing of him. So let me get through this right quick. But on this, you know, on this call, we really emphasize, you know, mindset and uh, and the paradigm shift, changing the things and the thoughts that we have, the way we grew up in our middle class or poor neighborhood, the thoughts that were taught to us, that was instilled in us, that's still there. Experts say that between the wound and nine years old is when we were programmed the most and how it's stuck, and it's still there. We, Our thought process, well, our process here is to change that by bringing up those those thoughts and ask yourself, will this help me advance or not? And if, if it doesn't, got to get rid of it. So uh, we also load this on the podcast platform, about 16 different ones, not a podcast. It's a conference call that's loaded on the podcast platform. So if you're hearing it, that's what it is, you know, but listen to it, man. We got some good information. We really do have some good information. So, all right, so uh, also replay number 712-432-1085, 712-432-1085, and this call will be up uh, on replay until Wednesday morning. So you can go back and listen to it this evening and tomorrow, and I promise you, out of all the times I say you should go back and listen to it, you should go back today because what I'm going to do today give you a quick recap. I'm going to play interview number five. Now, the the first one I played was interview number six. So we kind of going backwards, even though we got like 12 interviews. But I started at six. You know, I don't know why I just chose that one. But I'm going backwards now uh, to number five. So if you can remember on number six, his goal was to get to a certain place. And, um, and so on, on number five, you're going to hear that toward the end. I'm going to tell you to hold on, please, because this, this was a little bit longer, but it's worth it because throughout this one you're going to hear about, you know, his environmental change and, and his why, what really happened. And you're going to notice when he starts talking about his why, how his voice changes, how his tone changes, how his words change. Uh, he get a little... Uh, he use he he gets creative with his words. So y'all, y'all be prepared for that because he's gonna flip all together when he when he starts talking about his why, which you know um, I had never heard him talk like that. So you're gonna hear that toward toward the end. So hold on for that because that why is is powerful. Um, uh, you know, in, in this uh, just a recap. The reason I started recording this was because we had talked. We were talking every every week for an hour. That was my commitment. My commitment was to get books to the prison and his program, and my commitment was to talk to him for an hour every Wednesday because, you know, he, he started, when we first started talking, he was saying that he really didn't have uh, a lot of people in there that had the thought process or, the you know, the, the way that we talked. He didn't, they didn't have, he didn't have that, so it was good for us to talk you know, one day out of the week for hours. So that's what I was doing. And as I was talking to him, I realized, man, this is powerful. I need to hear your story or we need to record your story, um, you know, just to have it. And so I asked him, I said, can we record this? He said, yeah. So 
we started recording, but you got to understand, I had already been talking to him for probably three months before I started recording. So some of the things you're going to hear me jump in on and mention to him uh, is because we had already talked about it three months before we did this recording. So I'm going to kind of like, you know, is that what you were talking about? You remember this? You remember that kind of? So, uh, but that's what we're doing. You know, he's going to uh, also talk about is, you know, that, you know, how he got in trouble. Because he might not say it on here, but it was he, he created a shank, a knife. Because, you know, he was in that mindset when he first got there the first two years. I got to defend myself. I got to protect myself. I got to be in this. Well, he was in this mode of, I don't, you know. And one more point, he talks about all the facilities went to from a level one to a level five. One is less dangerous. Five is real dangerous. And so uh, he, he talks about, he talked to me about before we recorded that the level two he was on, uh, he really didn't like, even though that was the best one. And he's going to try to work his way back to it because in the beginning, he didn't like it because everybody was going home. And he was, you know, he had a 21 year, he had 15 to life, really. He had 15 to life. So he didn't see himself going home. But in that level two, everybody that he was meeting and talking to, they were leaving the facility going home. And he really didn't like that. He's like, man, this is. But then he realized that's what he wanted to get back to. So when you hear some of this stuff, you're going to know. So, and I tried to see if I could edit anything, and I couldn't. That's why I say it's going to be a little longer today if you can hold on. Because I didn't want to take out nothing. Everything on here, I think, helps with what I thought, with your thought process, and kind of it should help with yours. Because that's what you know. It's a lot of stuff I learned listening to him from this. So, all right, let me jump right into it. Because, like I said, it's, it's a little bit longer today. But uh, you watch. There's two things you want to watch. When he talks about the folder, how emotional he kind of gets. You know, he really kind of gets emotional. And then when he talks about his why. He really, really, really gets emotional. Like I said, his verbiage change. He gets creative with his words, if you know what I mean. Um, but, but you'll get the point. So, uh, it started here. All right, Lewis, we're back up and running. The recording started, man. So, uh, uh, kind of take it, you know, from where you, you know, you want to go from now, and and kind of, re- you know, kind of remember if you can as you go along, you know, that, you know, pause and just ask any questions from that, because I'm gonna try to write some down as we go. Um, trying to think. The last thing I know, we were talking about some of the stuff the last time, you know, about uh, I was telling you about how I was getting wanting people to actually tell me. Uh, about whether they actually reading the book or wasn't reading the book, and you were saying that you know they ain't gonna tell you that. Um, um, so I can't remember exactly where we left on the prison, like where you were at at that time. But I think you said you know, so you can go from there. Yeah, if I remember correctly, I, I believe I got into talking about how. Once I got caught with the knife, I got in trouble. I got sent to a higher security level. Like we were talking about five is the most serious down to one. One means you're getting ready to go home. That's the reintegration now. Uh, I got sent up to a four, experienced a five, and then when I got my security level dropped back down to a level three, I had a glimpse of level two. 
because remember what I said, when I went to Lake Erie at first, I didn't like it because everybody was going home. And uh, it was strange because I yeah. started becoming institutionalized at level three, lockdown, hands-on nonsense. Uh, so I knew when I came back down to level three that my whole, I had a goal of working my security level back down to level two one day to get back down to level two. Because a lot of guys that were there, I was different than I was when I was there the first time. I went back to the same institution, Trumbull, and I was different than I was the first time. And a lot of the guys I used to deal with could tell I was different. That had to me, me getting in trouble, me taking because that was the first time I had to take responsibility for my actions. I, at that point in the process, all I had was I didn't want to get in trouble no more. So I wanted to follow the rules that would keep me out of trouble. Uh, that was the beginning stages, that awareness and that understanding and that willingness to accept the rules and codes of conduct that was placed on the institution. That was the beginning of my change. That was, the, that was That's how the process began, mentally. Take that mental set to care about authority. Uh, At that point, were you still reading, the, like, the Donald Goins books and all? Had you got into some of the more thought-provoking books yet? No, I had... I, I had stopped reading fiction. By that time, my, my experience knew I, I had decided I was. I had stopped reading fiction. I wasn't reading fiction no more. Uh, now, the things I was reading, I wasn't fully comprehending everything that I was taking in. So I was being exposed to some books that were uh, thought provoking. That was, but I was not yet. I wasn't yet dealing with the uh, self help mindset books either, like that. Okay. I was dealing up with biographies with uh I still was trying to find myself as far as uh belief in a faith and where I come from. So I was dealing with a lot of uh religious stuff, a lot of different uh things like on that on that vein. You know, okay. who is God and uh are we God and all different types of things, you know. 'Cause I still was not accepted believer of Christ. I was just this call is originating from an Ohio correctional facility and may be recorded and monitored. I was searching. Uh, so a lot of the conversations me and, me and the type of people I was running with at that time would have would be a lot of ethical, moral uh, things like that. Now, that did get me introduced to stuff uh, written by Plato, Socrates, Plato, and Aristotle. I was real big on them, you know, thinkers. I wanted to the thinkers and whatnot be philosophical. So that was the the path I was on at that time in my process. There was a lot of that going on. Um, studying, uh, looking at Frederick Douglass and things like that. So from there, that is when I was basketball crazy because all the other negative behaviors I was doing, what I replaced those negative behaviors with was basketball. I was full, 100% go, basketball, 24-7. I would play. I had played basketball time, passed out, literally, just overly exerted myself. I would play until I saw stars, just go hard, just, just give my all. What basketball represented for me was the ability to sneak a peek at freedom because when you run it up and down that court, that was the time mentally I didn't have to be in jail. I could be anywhere. 
in the course of the game, once you get in the course of that game and you get to run up and out of court, that at that point in my process, that was the only freedom my mind could understand. That's how right. I equated a piece of freedom was in running up and down that court. So I tried to run up and down that court as much as I could. Um, through that, were you, were you like, were you like, did that have you? You have one minute remaining. Did that have you in shape? Were you, you know, like slimmer? Oh that? yeah. Oh, wow, yeah. Literally, I could run all day. Literally, okay. I could, yeah. Yeah, I was in shape. Uh, so, well, it's at one minute. So when we come back, I, I'll talk about what we talked about earlier. I know we talked about the platforms, how it's different. I didn't understand it then, but I understand now why so many different platforms holistically the ODRC offers. And in course of uh, applying yourself on these platforms, you develop into yourself. Or at least that's yeah. what the and talk is. about what prison you are in at this time, because you know you you went to five, so one of them you stayed longer than others, right? I think one you in now you've been there like eleven years, so that means that it probably was one more in between the time before you got there, right? Right. Okay. All right. Okay. Yep. okay. I will bring it up. Okay. Yep. All right. And recording. Thank you for using GTL. Okay. Hello. All right. So let me do a basic timeline. Okay, I began this time in 1998, uh, summer of 1998. I committed this, I committed the crime of murder. I got sent to the county. I was in the county for about ten and a half, eleven months. From there, I went to Lorraine Correctional, which is the intake institution for uh, Northern Ohio in the state of Ohio. That is the actual penitentiary. That's when you get your number. They call you get your, you know, your actual penitentiary number, and you are counted amongst being a prisoner in the state of Ohio. It was a Lorraine Correctional for a few months. Maybe I think only like two months. I don't think I was there for three months. Uh, I was transferred to what you call, what was called my parent institution. I was deemed to be a level three due to the seriousness of my crime. Like I said, one, two, three, four, five, it goes up uh, security level as far as what type of criminals are in those institutions and what type of security. So we was in, everything was a cell. We had limited movement. Uh, you had to have a pass to go everywhere. A lot of in-the-block time. So I was sent to a level three. That was Trouble Correctional Institution. Uh, this call is originating from an Ohio correctional facility and may be recorded and monitored. Which is near Youngstown. From there, I was there about over two years. My status was dropped to a level two. That was Lake Erie Correctional, which is up near Ashtabula, Ohio. Uh, it was a dormitory-style uh, guys went home all the time, big turnover, um, freedom to move about, didn't need a pass to go everywhere, to, you know, after they clear count, the doors, after they do child, the doors will be open and you'll be free to move about the compound. Um, there, I would uh, get in trouble disciplinary and I would get my level raised from a level two to a level four. I would be sent to the Southern Ohio Correctional Facility, which is in Lucasville, Ohio, the tip of Southern Ohio. There, that's the locked in the cell all day with the bars, caged, old school, you know, you just, you in there all day. Um, from there, I would transfer to OSP, which was designated level five, but had one of the floors, because it's like, a, it was a newer facility. They built that after the riot. Uh, the level, the security level four, they opened up for guys that live up north, because Lucasville is like six hours or more from Cleveland, I think. Um, so 
OSP, Ohio State Penitentiary, is in this near Youngstown. So that was for guys that was, like, from up north that wanted to transfer up there. So I transferred up there. Uh, that was a different type of environment because it was designated level five, so a lot of the mentality was still level five. Although we were, like, that was one of the first with five people on that floor to open up that level four floor. Uh, so that was a different experience. I worked my security level back down from there. They uh, deemed me acceptable and suitable to be a level three again. They sent me back to my parent institution. So I went back to the trouble correctional institution. Uh, when I went there, that's the point I was talking about. I was at the trouble correctional institution for about three years before I worked my security level down again to a level two. I went to Marion Correctional Institution, which opened up a huge door due to the fact uh, at that time Miss Money was the warden, and Miss Money was all about reentry. Miss Money was all about reintegration. She was all about change and hope. She was all about uh, affording us programs and the ability to become more than what you know, our record said we was, and it was, I had never done time like that. When I got to Merritt, I had never been in an environment of a culture that the whole institution is built around reentry, reintegration, getting better. So it was almost like you getting dropped into the peer pressure of a think tank, you know. Like, it's cool. The end thing is to be programming is to be learning. I had never been in a prison, a prison situation like that. That was a game changer. Uh, now, you said her name was Miss Money, M-O-N-E-Y? Miss, I think her first name is Christine. Miss Christine Money. She's, I don't think she's with the ODRC anymore. She runs a program, I think, somewhere outside of Columbus now, last I heard. And that's uh, the hell Last name was Money, M-O-N-E-Y. Yep. Oh, yep. man. Wish yep. I was Tony what? Money. That'll be <laughs> So, so, so does she like when the wardens and stuff like that that you go to? When you say that, does that mean that she has like a a weekly or monthly meeting with everybody in the prison, and she kind of tells y'all the strategy of what we're doing here, or you never see from her? It's just that it, it was just a no. It's, it's, it was more so she was very uh, accessible. She was one of those uh, wardens that that walked around. Oh. Okay, I'll give you the best this, this, uh, thing I can give you. You remember the movie Lean On Me? Yeah. She was like that, but without the baseball bat. Um, like a Joe. Uh, that, okay. that crazy, what is that, Crazy Joe or whatever? Uh, yeah. Remember how he got there and the school the was a mess? Yeah, I got yeah, yeah, and how he changed the culture of the right. school by investing? That that's was her. What, that's what this money was. She was She was accessible. The staff was accessible. The staff knew, you know, you be, be here to make these guys better, and uh, she now, opened that thing this, up. Uh, and there were so many programs coming through there that were just excellent. Was this a black female or white? White. Slam was white. So you, white. You have, did you have any black wardens? Yeah. Oh, yeah, I've had some black wardens. Okay. Uh, yeah. Go ahead. Talk, talk, about, talk about that because I don't want to interrupt you anymore. Go ahead. Uh, so Marion showed me a different way to do time. And 
the thing about learning, the thing about growth and change, and when I'm talking about learning, I'm now I'm talking about lifetime learning. I'm talking about the process of maturation that every human being, Lord willing, should be going through. At this point in my life, I had started being aware and accountable for my growth and change. If you're not aware and accountable for your growth and change through the process of life, you just exist. And you usually live a very sad life because you get stuck in a rut. This call is originating from an Ohio correctional facility and may be recorded and monitored. I'm stuck like them caterpillars uh, that just follow each other. The food was right there, but you're just following them behind somebody else because you're not taking that intentional and purposeful uh, awareness and accountability for the next step in your own life. Uh, I was early in my process still, but what Marion afforded me was a huge jump into what it should look like. Because when you decide you want better, and that's what happened once I went to the hole and came back and went through Trumbull, I just decided I, I, what was happening wasn't good enough, and I wanted better, and I had a will and desire to do better. So this process was playing out slowly and surely like all processes do. And when I got to Marion, I took this leap because I was around all these uh, men that were influencers that had that were actually involved with meaningful activities and meaningful work, uh, and it was it was eye opening. It was it was a whole other world, and I was down there for a little over a year. Uh, due to the fact that I learned this, don't do this. Marion is near Columbus, Ohio, so at the time I promised my family due to how long it takes to drive to get a visit, uh, that I was going to transfer to a prison that was up closer up north. Oh, Pull it out. So due to that fact, I transferred. I didn't want to transfer. It was. I'm talking about this was one of the hardest decisions I have ever made in my life. Nothing in me wanted to leave Marion. Everything was right. My positioning, my job, I was in the honor block. I had the, the, a whole new circle of uh, associates and friends. Everything that I, I wanted out of my life, all the change was happening right there in that short year, and I did not want to leave for nothing. But at is the that, same time, go is ahead, that the place where you, where you got the folder and wear your glasses and change how you Oh, yeah, you? that's what I was talking about, the folder boys. Everybody mm-hmm. I saw that was doing something like that was the right thing or something that was powerful had these folders and briefcases. That's what I was saying, yeah. I got me a bright red folder. I pulled my pants up. I started carrying me some pens and pencils in my pocket. Uh, got me some glass. I got my glasses and tightened my belt, and I walked around with my bright red folder. It had nothing but some clean notebook paper in it. But mm-hmm. I walked around to I, I figured it out. And over the course of years, I could just talk about that folder and show you how it changed up to this day. The folder so, because because you were taking notes or because how you felt about walking around with it? I mean, what do you mean? In the beginning, the folder just represented a mimic. It empowered me to feel as though I was most definitely on the right path. And also, and also my environment, those that were around me, staff and all that, I looked like what the other uh, inmates that was on the right path looked like. So, yeah, it did affect how I felt about myself and how I saw myself. But when I say you can, I can articulate my growth and change, I can show my growth and change by if we just 
after, like, every year, I open up the folder and I tell you what was in the folder. Because as things were added to me, as I started understanding more about what was really going on, not just mimicking, my folder started getting filled up with important paperwork, with important things, with things that matter. I started understanding why I needed to carry a folder. Uh, so in the beginning with just carrying a folder, I just had paper. So I started taking programming. Uh, my initial introduction into taking ODRC-approved programming was in OSP. Uh, you just we wanted to get off the, the cell block, so you sign up for programming, and we were able to, you know, just change venues. We, we still locked in a little cage while the programming was going on, but at least you wasn't in the other cage you was at. You know, you was moving from one cage to the next, so it was something different. And that's when I got exposed to uh, mindfulness techniques, when I got exposed to the rationale behind anger, thinking out your thoughts. These was, this was stuff I had never heard of. I didn't have, I didn't have these tools and these, these abilities. That started the process of change because if you don't know, you can't do. You know, if you don't know something, uh, me and a brother were talking about this last night, you must have new information and you must have mentors. You must have guys and mentors. This call is originating from an Ohio correctional facility and may be recorded and monitored. You must intentionally learn to seek out new information about new things because if you don't, how far can you go within your own head? I was basically eighth, ninth grade dropout, high school dropout, who had been locked up since I was a teenager in the penitentiary. So my brain had started atrophy. I had stopped learning too early. I had cut off the learning process too early. I didn't have enough techniques, skills, systems, uh executive functioning, understanding, emotional intelligence, social intelligence, communication skills, uh, employment skills. I didn't have enough skills to accomplish the very simple task of being a citizen in society. I was based like an animal because my mind had stopped learning too early. So this is why I was making base decisions. Everything was fight or flight. You know, everything was survival. Everything was about materialistic. I I just want to eat. I just want. I want to just feel good. Everything was very shallow and very base because my mind was turned off. So you age in years, but your brain must be developed. And I am so huge on mentorship and guidance and asking questions because leaning upon those that have been there before, have walked the roads that you want to walk, and they can guide you through what it's going to look like, what it's going to feel like, and what their experience was, is huge. When you don't have that, you are an empty vessel. You just lost. And that's something that's taken for granted from people that naturally go through the process of life. And you have one minute remaining. That's a huge part of why the prisons are filled up. We, started, we stopped learning too early. Our brains are not fully functioning at the level where they should be functioning. We don't have the skills imparted to us that we should have to be able to function in society, and we don't have the proper mentorship and guidance because everybody around us is corrupt and criminal-minded or of low education and low experience. You so know? you're saying you, 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 you came to all of this, you got all this in that one year that you were there? 
But it started beforehand. That's why I started. I went back to OSP in the first year of the classes. Uh, when I went back out of trouble, I knew I was different because I, I had a goal. And I was getting out of trouble. I knew I was going back to level two. Them guys mm-hmm. were talking about, oh, well, you learned your lesson now, you won't go back down there. I'm like, yes, I am. I said, y'all crazy. This level three stuff is nuts. Right. Uh, that time in the hole made me that sanctions work. Sanctions ain't pretty, but sanctions work. Proper sanctions work. I, I was supposed to get sent to that 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 hole. You know, I was supposed to get in trouble for what I did. And it, it uh Thank you for using GTL. Um Lewis. An inmate at the Grafton Correctional Institution. To accept this call, press To prevent calls from this facility, press nine. And recording. Thank you for using GTL. All right. Let's let me... Go ahead. Okay. Okay. So let me explain. Let me put it together because I put it together choppy. So it's okay. From my birth to my experience with my family to my experience with society when you start going to school and branching out and whatnot, due to how I handle events, because it's not that the events to my life were the worst events. It wasn't that the events to my life were so unique. It was my inability to process the events and my perception of the events and how I allowed the events and circumstances of the environment to build up the image in my mind and perception in my mind of myself and my world. That is basically what trauma is about. Trauma is about everybody can experience the same thing, but it's how you perceive it, whether it's traumatic, and to what extent that it traumatizes. This call is originating from an Ohio correctional facility and may be recorded and monitored. What extent uh, it affects your life, and it can cause dysfunction in your life when you don't have the tools to handle it. So, over the course of my life, I allowed environment and circumstances to become a master. And I was circumstances and environment slaves. That led to the reactionary action of having a gun and taking a man's life. Because the inability to think things through, the inability of thought, due to the fact I stopped learning too early. My brain was cut off. These are not excuses. These are just facts of the matter because the things I'm saying are my fault. I take full responsibility for my learn- stop learning too early. I take full responsibility for not having the, t- the tools and the mechanisms to be able to cope with social emotional stressors and adversity. So when I got to prison, I was in that same mindset. So the station of prison did not automatically, like, just changed because, okay, I got arrested. Now I go into an environment where the overwhelming majority of the environment is just like me. So, I, like I said in the beginning, I went in to fit in. I said, well, hell, this this is where there's people that they they just as dumb as I am. So me going through the process of getting in, getting in the, uh, trouble, going to the higher security prison, and in that environment, when pushed into that environment, and at that time, the process it took to go through the whole, the detox, 
where my mind was finally sober, which my mind had not been sober in years, my eyes was open, and all I knew is, hey, man, what happened? You know, I woke up there. It was like, what, 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 where are we at? Like, this is not you. This is not what you're supposed to be doing. And that awareness came through detox, through having a sober mind, and being placed into an environment that was so serious, it showed me it was a reflection of how seriously corrupt I was. That's what the security levels are, a reflection of how seriously corrupt you are. That I'm in a place now amongst people that I am not like this. I am not I am not this type of what have, what have I done to my life? That was the question I kept asking, what did I do to my life? So I started asking that question, why? That Socratic question message, that why? Why are you doing this? Why? Are you? And that has been the beginning. That was the beginning. So all this has been a process. Life is a long process that never ends. Until you die. It's a process of learning yourself. It's a process. So that was my purposeful question about identity. Who am I? Why did I do this? And it took a long time. That was back in 03, 04. I'm in Lucasville. So we're talking about going from Luke to Trumbull uh, to Marion. Marion was like 08. And I'm still on this path of understanding why I'm still not quite sure. But I'm seeking it, and that's the thing about any any goal, any accomplishment, any process. You don't fail until you quit. It might take you two days. It might take you 20 years, but you stay on the grind, and that is success. That, that decision, that 12-inch decision you make between your heart and your intellect every day to stay on that grind. So when I got to Marion, because the environment, because I was still in the process, that environment's meant so much to me. Due to the environment being so outwardly uh, geared towards reintegration to change, I saw it everywhere because my eyes were still fuzzy. My eyes were still victimized eyes because I was still seeking out environments. Because in hindsight, what I know now is I could have done that when I was in trouble. I could have done this when I was in Lucasville. I could have done this in OSP, Mr. Flynn. Mm-hmm. But see, until you grow into yourself and you take full responsibility, accountability is about taking the reins of your life and understand that you create your environment. As long as you still depend upon environments, what this place is like, what that place is like, I'm always worried about this, this and that, you are still a slave to those things that are outside of you. And that is a, a, a weakened level of existence. See, I was still concerned about environment because I hadn't yet had the strength within me to shape and change environments. That would come years later. So we're talking about 2008. I'm in Marion. I'm in this environment which helped cultivate a, a, a growth spurt because I got to see so many examples of what it looked like. So I was able to take bits and pieces and talk to so many people and get involved with so many different types of programs. Uh, they did a seminar, uh, what was it called, a seminar or whatever, whatever, a talk, something I had never seen before. They brought back a brother that had just left prison. He had just left Marion, and they brought back another brother that had been gone for about five years and another brother that had been gone about ten years. So I got to hear men that had actually left prison 
and the process and the change and what it looked like and that it's possible. So when you see something that's possible, you know, it's like when an airplane got invented, they had to see a bird fly. If you had never saw nothing fly or nothing shoot through the air, you would have never even thought about, you know, building an airplane. So I got to see, I said, oh, man. So you you weren't thinking about that? People leaving it, you just hadn't thought about that? And Well, I knew I did not want, I was at the process of I wanted to be a different person. And I didn't want to be in trouble. This call is originating from an Ohio correctional facility and may be recorded and monitored. I just wanted to be a different person. Because remember I told you the books I was reading after, uh, so this is like from, oh, when I say I stopped reading fiction, when I got exposed to nonfiction and important things like politics and whatnot and the old great thinkers. So from like 04, let's say from 04 to even up to 2009, 2010, let's say from 04 to like 2008, I was still searching for meaning, like Victor Franklin. I was still searching for life's meaning. I was still searching for my meaning on, on earth. So all I knew was I did not want to be the same type of person because I, un- I was unhappy with the results that old person was bringing. So I was just trying to add things that made me better. Now, the understanding of freedom, the understanding of wanting to be free, that came when Christ started dealing with my heart. And I was called to Christianity. That's when that happened, when I gained faith in the finished work of Christ. That's when I started considering freedom. So after the marrying experience, that's when I started saying, man, I could go home. Because before it was just, I just wanted to change. I just wanted, that's what I was, I just wanted to change. As far as wanting to be, to be free, to be, to be changed in, in the physical realm, that wasn't even first on my plate because I wasn't yet had an understanding of myself. I was still so I'm, I'm basically uh, a 13 year old in my mind. I'm just not wanting to be bad no more. I'm just tired of getting in trouble. That was the beginning of it. I just wanted accountability. I just wanted to be conventional. I wanted to start following the rules. I wanted to start learning the rules and following the rules. So this process took time. Then after the marrying experience. Then it was like, man, you can go home. It's possible. So now we're going to talk about environment. The reason why I chose Grafton Correctional Institution, I came to Grafton in 2009. I told my people, okay, I'm going to move. I'm going to go closer up north. I couldn't go back to Lake Erie. They wouldn't take me. I couldn't. I, I didn't want to go to, uh, what was the other one? Uh, oh, man, I can't even think of the name of the other prison. But anyway, because the other prison, so I knew Grafton. What Grafton was, Grafton was an old folks' home, a retirement home. What no, everybody is talking about what no stealing going on, what no rock. This call is originating from an Ohio correctional facility and may be recorded and monitored. The culture of Grafton was a retirement home. Literally, a bunch of old guys that sit around and talk stuff, and there's nothing going on here. What no games, what no drugs, what nothing. Because of where I was at in the process of my development, that was attractive to me because I was seeking out environments to help me in the process of my change. That's where I was at. So I chose this environment because I said, this is an environment where I can change. The odds of me getting in trouble in Grafton is so slim that I can make it there because I yet not, I didn't have I, I, uh, the tools and mechanisms to have confidence in myself that I could make it anywhere. 
So over the course of me being here from 2009, uh, in about, first of all, I saw the Pro Board in 2013. Five years prior to the Pro Board, I was allowed to start taking college classes. So as soon as the, my, my date came up, that was what, uh, 2008. No, no, 2009 when I got here. 2009 when I got here, I signed up for college classes. The exposure I got to college-level material took my mind to a whole nother level because it was so hard, Mr. Fleming. When I started taking that, that, that first semester of school was one of the hardest things ever. My mind was so far away from being able to accomplish the work I was, that was being asked of me. And I was reading at that point, but, you know, I'm reading at my own pace. I'm my own rabbit, and I'm a weak rabbit. So now I'm reading this material, and it's being demanded of me uh, to execute at a certain level, and my, I'm mentally and uh, task-wise and system-wise, I'm not up to the task. So it was tough. It took a lot. It took a lot of help. You know, it took me reaching out to a lot of people and then helping me. It took a lot of reading. It took a lot of – I had to give up a lot of stuff. Because I, I decided I wasn't going to go to school and flunk out. Like, what was the point? I said, I'd have flunked out of everything in my life. Why would was, I go to school and, was, and, and jail about, and flunk out? That's what I was about to say. You could have quit. You could. You didn't have to stay doing that. Why did, and you just answered that. And yeah, and this, and this is what happens from programmers. When programmers talk to you about being an achiever, not being a quitter, all these things have been placed in my mind due to experiences I've had now with programming. This is what the, the programs are for. The programs are starting to develop a character and integrity in you and starting to give you mechanisms to handle stress because that stress or that, oh, man, I would have folded that book up and quit and been looking for a joint or something. <laughs> but through the process of time building me up, I decided, you know what, because that was when I started making I didn't even realize making declarations and stick it to my word, and that word I was keeping wasn't my word to my mother or my father or to the ODRC. It was to myself. My word meant something to myself. I wanted to do it for me. And I said, man, I'd have flunked out of every school. I'd have quit. I'd have half-assed. I didn't do the work, and I decided I ain't doing that no more. So I had to take the time to do that, and we started teaching me about time management. And at that time, I was reading Malcolm Gladwell. I got hold of that outliers. And that outline was talking about that 10,000-hour rule, and that was, <clears throat> for me, profound. To me, out of that book, when I first read Outlier, that stuck out more than anything. I said, 10,000 hours make me an expert, man. And I started thinking about what I had 10,000 hours in. And I'm like, that's why my life fucked up. This call is originating from an Ohio correctional facility and may be recorded and monitored. I'm like, I got 10,000 hours in a bunch of bullshit. You know, I got $10,000 of stuff that don't mean nothing. So uh, intentional and purposely seeking out what I would do with my time. So going through college, and then once I got it and I caught it, I had to develop a system. It was the first time I started. You have one minute remaining. A system. And I had to realize how I learned. See, I, don't, I didn't do good in group studies. I didn't do good in how to teach stuff. I had to take that book. Start that book, how I learned. How I learned was I like to look at the table of contents. I like to go to the last chapter and see what the end result will be. Then I break the material down with a developed end in mind. I had to learn that for me. Now, once I got it, I got it. But I had to learn how I learned, and that's an important thing. I keep saying it because it's time. You have to learn how you learn. 
everybody don't learn the same. Everybody don't, you know, receive information and communication the same way. And a lot of that group stuff is hard. And that's one reason why them book groups is hard. Uh, I'm going to tell you something happened with my class this week, too. I'll I finish up with that later. I don't want to get off track now. So I started taking college-level classes. That influence sparked something in my mind. It took my mind to another level as far as my, my literacy rate went up. Thank you for using GTL. Okay. All right. So being exposed to college-level classes. At this time, like I told you, I was all into sports. Well, not sports so much. That's up there. I'm not a sports fan. I like basketball and football. I really don't like that now. So <laughs> I was all I was playing basketball that I was fantasy football. I love fantasy football. So at the same time, I was playing fantasy football. I had started leading fantasy football leagues, which is hard without a computer, with all paper. It's tough. Like I said, at one point I stepped into running the whole league for the institution. So we got a 1,000 people in here, and I had about 300, 400 guys play, 350, 300, almost 400 guys play in this fantasy football league. And we wasn't getting paid for this. So I had to organize men. It gave me a platform to organize men because somebody had to help me do the stats, run the drafts, uh, do the free agency and whatnot for the whole compound. These were experiences that I utilized these platforms to build and develop it to myself. Now, these things are happening in real time, and as I'm going through them, I'm thinking nothing of them. But what was going on is now, from the college-level material, me getting exposed to college classes, I'm listening to Dave Ramsey on the radio, which was huge for me. He was the one who taught me about a book list, how to look at the bibliography and stuff. If you see something you like, look at that little number, go back there and match that book up, and then that's where that book, that thought came from, and then that's how you put your book list together, which was a game changer for me because now I'm purposely learning. Now I'm self-educating myself and reading certain types of materials that I'm developing into myself because I'm seeing what type of books I like, uh, what type of books interest me versus dudes just giving me miscellaneous books I'm taking whatever somebody's giving me. That was All this was going on at the same time. Um, me playing basketball was coming less and less important. This call is originating from an Ohio correctional facility and may be recorded and monitored. Then, and then I hurt my knee. I blew my knee out. So then I couldn't play for like a year. Uh, I'm still not 100%. That slowed me down a lot. That, that helped shake that monkey off my back, the need to always play, because I, I can't play at 100% no way. I can't play and cut on my uh, right knee. So all this was happening for a reason. I took a class in college, the best class I've ever taken. It changed, it, 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 that class, I was there early. I used to bother that man like crazy. Uh, consumer behavior. Consumer behavior was my the first time I was made aware of the outside environmental forces that play on how we think. I got exposed to psychology and the importance of psychology. I knew about psychology in a general sense, but I didn't understand why it was so important and what happened and, and what happens to your mind and what the ability that an environment can play on your mind. The certain behavior opened me up to that, and that was the beginning of the journey of me figuring out my thoughts. That led me to the growth mindset, Carol Dweck, you know, the ability for my mind to improve. That started leading me to read psychology books. That was a game changer. I'm taking in this new information. So now I'm starting to wait, apply wait, it. Wait a minute, wait a minute, Louis. So 
these classes were taught by professors coming in from colleges, or were prisoners teaching these yeah, classes? Yeah, down here we got Ashland, we got Ashland University. So these were professors that were coming in from off the street and teaching mm-hmm. these classes. Now, did they recommend those books you just mentioned? <clears throat> Excuse me, Carol Dweck and all those. You said you started reading those books. How did you get uh, that? No. Okay, well, what, what got me, what took me to another level book-wise was, I, okay, in the course of me, I would listen to sports radio all the time because in jail, up until the last few years, and that's, I think, was that about six, seven years ago when the state decided to give us a few cable channels, all we had was, you know, the regular local news and the radio. So all our information came from radio. Radio was the, the best disseminator of information, up-to-date information. So... I listen to sports radio a lot. So one day I'm looking for my sports radio station. The radio giving me trouble. I can't get it. But I hear this guy, and he was talking about, uh, oh, man, I, I can't remember what drew me in. He was talking something about how do you, with the proper way to buy a house or something. He was talking, something about mortgages, something about a mortgage. And it, it caught my attention because I don't know nothing about that, and how he was breaking it down was simple. So I started listening. So this dude happened to be Dave Ramsey. And then I started listening to him every day. I started following him. And then he was talking about some books he wrote. So I got his book. When I got Dave Ramsey's book, Dave Ramsey talked about these business psychology books, these self-help books. This is when I got hit to the Covey 7 Habits. This call is originating from an Ohio correctional facility and may be recorded and monitored. Because he was quoting these dudes in his book. So I wrote all these books down because... On the radio, he was talking about when he was he would get these young couples, you know, and they in debt and whatnot. And he was talking about the education process, about you got to start reading stuff. And he he explained how to make a book list one day. How okay, if I read his book and he quote Malcolm Gladwell, and I'm attracted to what he said, you know, uh, leaning on the words of Malcolm Gladwell, and he quote Covey, and I'm attracted to that. So I should write down a Malcolm Gladwell book and a Covey book, and that be, develops a book list. So when I started that. That's what opened up the door to all these books because everybody leans upon one another. You understand what I'm saying? So that's what gave me a, a definitive direction into what type of education and learning. That was a game changer. That was another level because I'm taking in different types of information. I'm taking so you, this information. You really, you really started mentoring yourself. It wasn't a mentor say, okay, read this book in another sense. You just started mentoring yourself by doing that. Absolutely. And what that brought on, it was two. It was two. It was two things that started happening. As I'm getting these books in, and then I'm going to the library because we could order books from the outside library. Also, we got a library in here, but we could order books from the outside library to the inner library loan. As I'm getting these books in, and as I'm getting them in, we could order books from Amazon and get them sent in. As these books are coming in, certain guys would start noticing, you know, what book cover you got. Oh, I see you reading that. And because they see you reading that now, what would happen is I start making different connections because these guys are of a like mind. Because they're like, you know what, I got the other one by him. Now, prior to this, with me not having this book in my hand, we would walk by each other every day, you know, get some hot water, get some ice, not know each other. But because you see me reading this Michael Gladwell tipping point, now you come and say, hey, you know what I got, man? I got a dude over here named... uh, um, um, the brother with the leadership. I love John C. Maxwell. I got some John C. Maxwell. You would like that. If you like that, you like that. If you get through the tipping point, I've been wanting to read that. Let me read that. And I'll let you read this. That, just that, opened up a whole nother realm 
because now I'm talking in a different level of conversation to guys. That helped having different peers at a different level because I was just really standoffish. I was about, you know, I was off to myself. A few dudes I talked to, and basically we talked about sports. And I had some dudes in school I was with. We talked about the schoolwork. We talked about sports, and that was it. So now I got some guys that's reading this type of stuff. And now they hit me on the other people, you know, to, to, to listen to dudes. Listen to him on the radio. Yeah. good, man. You know, so. Like so, I would, so, I so, so these college classes you were taking is typical of college classes, I guess, outside the prison because I was under the thought process that maybe those professors in there were suggesting these. So they – they you, they still didn't suggest any of these type books the whole time you took the college, college classes in prison. Those these suggestions came from starting with Dave, Dave Ramsey and then you kind of start ordering books and then you know like minds start seeing each other and so it wasn't like while you're sitting in those classes <clears throat> that they brought up these books. No, uh, no, I, I didn't have a relationship with any of the professors as far as developing a book list. At that level, um, for one reason, I was still when we talk about development. My social skills. I- this call is originating from an Ohio correctional facility and may be recorded and monitored. What happens when you're doing wrong? And this is every level on the street too. What happens when you're doing wrong? You fear authority. You fear contact and interaction with authority because what that means for you is that you will be found out, found out and punished. So because I had that mindset, that antisocial mindset, I still was not sociable with staff, and the outside professors represented staff for me. So I was never personable enough. Now, I'm sure if I would have uh, engaged them and talked to them, they would have had some books to suggest for me. But I wasn't at that stage in my development when I went through college classes. I was still antisocial in a lot of my thinking that, you know, you don't talk to the police, you stay out the police face, all mm-hmm. that type of stuff. So it would take, a, you know, some more time for that. Now, the second thing that happened with me having these books now because college classes and these books, I'm trying stuff now. Remember I told you I couldn't play basketball like I wanted to, so I had to start coaching. And I'm running these fantasy leagues. So now when I'm reading John C. Maxwell, he's talking about leadership and stuff. So I'm trying some of these things now, you know, on my peers within my environment. Uh, I'm just taking that for granted as I'm doing it. I look back now and reflect, and I can see. You know how you look back, and then you can see the significance or the importance of something. In yeah, you, time, yeah, you yeah, you were learning because you were actually putting some of that stuff into play. Exactly. That was my beginning of application, which was a yet another level. Now, I'm going to tell you a tipping point. This is what sparked something. Because up to this point, what I'm, what I'm trying to express about this process, what I'm, I'm going through the, some of the intricacies of my process of thinking and change, I'm still dependent upon environments. Um, I still don't have a definitive purpose and meaning. I'm still kind of just finding some stuff out and playing with it. It's still somewhat like I'm playing with it. All right, so now this is what he's going to talk about is why. And, you know, be prepared that his, his words going to change. And um, you're going to see a difference. And, and I don't know if you heard the pause when he talked about the books and the folder, because uh, I went back to him on that. And, you know, he, he had tears then because, it, you know, those were changing points in his life. But this one is really going to be, uh, he when he figured out what he was going to do. I'm going to tell you what got me serious. I told you we're in an open dorm environment. I bunk on the corner bunk in 120 in D2. Across from me, there was an older gentleman. This man had to be in his probably his 70s. I'm not going to say his name because, you know, we're just going to call him 
Mr. Man. So, Mr. Man was known for being standoffish. He's a real tall, dark-skinned dude, kind of looked like putting him out of Robert Parrish. So, okay. he would play this game called Triatomos, which is triangular-shaped dominoes with his old guys. He would read westerns, sit out on the bench with the old guys. Remember, there's a retirement home. Sit out there with the mm-hmm. old guys and talk. Never did nothing. Just, no, you know, no, nobody had nothing for him or against him. Stayed to himself, did his time. Been out a long time. So this was his process every day because we all live in the same bed area, so everybody knows everybody's routine. So for some reason, he just stopped getting up out the bed. He would lay in the bed. He would just lay in the bed. He wouldn't get up. Dudes would call, you know, the old guys would call for him. Hey, Mr. McKee, send Mr. Man out. And he's like, hey, in the bed, man. I don't know what's going on with him. And then we would start hearing him crying. He would be under bed. He started crying, Mr. Fleming. Mr. Fleming, over the process of a month and a half, I'm talking about literally, I'm not exactly, I'm talking about literally, I watched this man give up on life and die. Because we have a count, a count time where you have to stand up for count. This call is originating from an Ohio correctional facility and may be recorded and monitored. Got to the point he couldn't stand up on his own. He would just be crying. They would come get me and let his beard grow out. He was a mess. Now they'd be running down straight, and they'd be trying to stand him up. And every time they say, well, they have called medical. They would take him over to medical and say, ain't nothing wrong with him. Mr. Fleming, he gave up on life and he died. I'm talking about literally, and I'm not talking about a, a spiritual death. I'm not being philosophical. I'm talking about a month, within a month and a half of this behavior, this man was dead. The place we go to get our packages, when, I, when we get a package received, the receiving, receiving department, there's a room in there, the going home room, and there's boxes of people's materials in there. When they finally took out the month and a half when he got so bad where he couldn't even stand up, he was a mess. He would just be in the bed crying all day. I went over to get a food box. I looked up in that room, and I saw his box with his name on it. That man had died, and nobody claimed his shit. That was his stuff. That was his worldly belongings in a goddamn cardboard box sitting on that shelf. Hmm. So that means he hadn't been talking to anybody. He was just... I mean, he was just, he was just uh, a dude that had did a heinous crime and it came to prison and had just died, gave up on life. And I watched this man die and give up on life across the rack for me. How long had he been in prison? I don't know. I think he had been down like over 40-something years or something. I think he was close to 40 years, either give or take some years. So um, the process at the time, he, I guess all his family members died or they just didn't deal with him no more. So he was his only – he was the only – I guess he had no conversation with the outside world. Well, I'm going to say what it meant to me. You have one minute remaining. At the, the next phone call, I, I finished this thought up because this is, this, is, uh, this is huge. This, this was, if you're talking about bringing everything together, if you're talking about what, what binds the cake, what brought the whole battle together, it was what this experience meant to me. When we're talking about trauma and what, when somebody experienced something, what it means to them is everything, mm-hmm. the perception of what I had, the details, I don't have. But i tell you what this meant to me to watch Mr. Man die. Uh, I'm about to call back and say it one minute. Okay. All right. Yeah. Thank you for using GTL. All right, Mr. Simmons. All right. Okay. So what that meant to me to watch this man die, I had never saw something like this before, to literally watch this man decide to give up on life and die in front of me and watch this decline every day and to go see that man's possessions up on that shit. That, that man's stuff still might be up there. That stuff stayed up there. I'm talking about uh, months later, that stuff was still up there. And nobody to come claim it to leave no mark on this earth. 
remember, I was under the influence of these books, these self-help books. books. All these books talk about communication and reflection and how what you see in others is something you see in yourself, whether you like it or you dislike it. So I'm looking at him, and I said, this miserable old motherfucker stayed up here in prison. He didn't never do shit for nobody. He ain't never give back. And this motherfucker died nothing. And what I saw was not him, but I saw me. Hmm. You're talking about a troubled spirit. I couldn't sleep. I couldn't focus on nothing else. I was bothered. This call is originating from an Ohio correctional facility and may be recorded and monitored. And I made a decision. I said, that ain't going to be me. That changed everything. Because my aim, it wasn't no more playing no more. Fuck that fantasy football. Fuck that basketball. I had and this environment I felt like was just dead. I started seeing it for what it was. It wasn't jokes and all this. It's a coffin. We in here dying, decorating coffins. We in here, we losers. We don't get nothing back. We selfish. We always on the phone begging and asking. And... And opened up the camp, and I said, man, I put a kite in, and I prayed. I said, Lord, please let me be able to go over there. I said, I got to find out how to get out of this. I got to find out how to do something. And lo and behold, the kite came back. They said, You'll be, we'll see. We'll look into it. Three weeks later, CO came, told me, Phil, pack your stuff. You're going to the camp. And me going over to the reintegration camp, the graduate reintegration camp, was a symbol of crossing a bridge in my life. No. And go ahead. Now, at that point, you never thought about going to the camp? You didn't even want to go over there? And, and what, I mean, what is the camp? I mean, why did you – is that outside of the prison? Like, it's still – I mean, what is that? What made you say – Okay. Uh, I, my security level had been level – matter of fact, let me tell you this. My security level got dropped down to a level one uh, soon after I got to Grafton probably like in 2011 or 12. So I was a level, my security level on paper was a level, I was the lowest security you could be. That means that my behavior has been such that uh, I am uh, to be trusted at a level one facility. Now, at that point, Grafton didn't have a level one facility. That that, that was a different institution. And uh, through a governor change, that institution no longer existed, and Grafton adopted that institution and made it a reintegration center. This is when uh, the, the ODRC began to, uh, these what, we, what they call purposeful reintegration centers, where there was classes and programs and community providers to come in and prepare us to return home. Um, that's the camp. Like, yeah, so that was called the camp. That's the camp. That's the reintegration center, the Grafton reintegration center. So this was a new opportunity. This was something that was new. Um, this call is originating from an Ohio correctional facility and may be recorded and monitored. Now, the problem with going over to the reintegration center was this, and this is why my mindset had changed because you asked a great question. I, had I ever thought about going over there before? See, the reintegration center don't have a gym. I'm a gym rat. So the big deal about everybody over here not wanting to go to the camp was they ain't got no gym. We can't hoop. <laughs> but watching that man there. <laughs> I didn't give a damn no more. It made life real. I said, I cannot live like this. Like, I cannot be 
a motherfucker that lived his life and I just died as a murderer. That when they put on my tombstone, I wasn't shit. I took a man's life. I took from people. I was a fucking loser. And I made a decision that I'm going to leave a legacy. Me going to the camp uh, with an aim, I had a purpose in my heart. I had a purpose in my aim to figure out how life works. How do how do I become an adult? Because I realized I was not an adult. Yeah, I was reading all this stuff, but I'm playing with shit. I ain't doing nothing with it. You know, now I look back at hindsight and all those things I did did matter. They did matter, you know, but it was time to grow up and put childish things away. And out of the reintegration center, I'll talk about that on the next one because we ain't got enough time because it it's so much. I got exposed to so much. But what I realized Wait, was, wait a minute. When you said that you wanted to leave a legacy, so you, were you thinking then about, you know, books for bruises, doing stuff outside of the prison, setting up these events like you have now and so that, you know, that could, you know, help the world? Were you thinking about outside of the prison then? You, when you say, what were you thinking about, just doing something inside the prison or – I always wanted to do a program, a class, but at that point, I hadn't had experience facilitating classes. I had experience in doing sports stuff. All my experience was doing sports stuff. I hadn't had experience in facilitating uh, a cognitive program. So I wanted to do it, and the way I was going to try to do it, and this is why I went to the camp. My, the, my hope in the camp was we had something called the Hope Channel, where we had a videotape channel that got piped through the Northeast region and uh, institution. It was an actual TV channel that had shows on it that was produced by guys in prison that was taped by guys in prison that was edited by guys in prison called the Hope Channel. Uh, it was ran through the reintegration centers. Now, they brought a, we had an opportunity to taught us how to do some camera work in here. The guys would come in from the camp and tutor us on how to do camera work. I was, I was blessed to be part of that crew. Uh, a brother, Donnie Singleton, provided me that opportunity. So being exposed to the camera crew, my thought was, I said, Dad, I could find a way to put some type of program on the channel so that all the institutions could take the program at one time. That was my thought and my idea at that time. Uh, I was going to do that through a, a group down here. And lo and behold, they shut the group down. So I said, okay. I can't that. That's this call is originating from an Ohio correctional facility and may be recorded and monitored. So I said, well, I figured something else out. Then, lo and behold, they stopped bringing the camera because we're a level two facility over here. That was level, level one was coming over here to help us. So then they stopped doing the camera crew. They stopped letting the level ones come over here to help us. So they took the cameras from us. So the cameras was at the camp. So all this was going on at the same time. Me seeing Mr. Man die trying to figure out how to do better, being unsettled, them taking the cameras. So the natural thing was, okay, I'm going to the camp, and I'm going to do the camera crew over there. Uh, I'll talk about that the next trip because that is just your path is your path, man. You just never know. You can make plans all you want, but you got to be ready for the journey. Uh, I went out to the camp thinking about I was going to do all this stuff with the camera crew. I was going to learn the camera stuff. I was going to put these programs together and pipe them through, and everybody at the institution could take the program at the same time. And it was going to have something to do most definitely with learning how to read because I knew learning how to read was huge for me. 
Me learning how to read, me understanding I didn't know how to read was always a big deal all the way back from Lucasville to now. Reading in books was very important. No, no, again, again, we got to emphasize because when people here know how to read, you, they think, well, if you couldn't read, you know, the words on the page. That's not what you're saying. Okay, yeah, let me explain. Literacy, literacy is the ability to contextualize and to comprehend, understand, and apply what you're reading to be able to have a a, a life life uh, application to what you're reading. Being able to read the words off the page is not being literate. Uh, that's just being able to recognize signs and symbols and relate them. It's just like Spanish. If I, I can look at the word rojo and say, oh, that's the color red, you know, uh, that does not mean I know Spanish. That does not mean I comprehend or understand the language. And uh, unfortunately in America, especially, and absolutely in prison, we have a ton of people that can read the words off the page and have no understanding. I'm going to share this little tidbit with you. Uh, remember, I told you I've been doing my builder's class, and we talk about mm-hmm. comprehension. So I recognized something this week. I sucked. This cycle, I did a horrible job. When I was presenting to the brothers, I did a terrible job in slowing down and actually making sure that they were getting the foundation of the material. Next week is the last class. So this past week, I'm sitting in Clara, and uh, I asked everybody, I said, what did the program start with? Because I was making a point about our thinking process. And nobody in the class knew. Nobody in the class remembered that we started with identity and a criminogenic need that the state of Ohio said that these are the areas that we are deficient in if we build ourselves in these areas that uh, – the threat of crime is lessened, that this overcomes recidivism. And this is how a person matures when you grow in these areas because the comparison was those areas to identity. This call is originating from an Ohio correctional facility and may be recorded and monitored. Nobody knew that. I knew it was not their failure. I knew it was my failure as a facilitator. I had did their uh, disservice. I had wasted their time Um, because I did not do a good job and making them understand the connection to their identity and basically that this was a roadmap to begin the path to forming your identity. I had a lot of stuff in my head. I did a poor job of introducing some new material. So uh, that was a big moment, uh, a humbling moment, and I apologize to them. I told them that, now, and I told them, yeah. Now, you're taking responsibility for that. Now, what, what was the point? When was the point that you started taking responsibility for everything? Because I remember you said, you started saying, you know, it's my fault. Everything is my responsibility. When did you start realizing that? Because at some point you probably would have said these knuckleheads should have, you know, when did you start? That happened when Robin Hill, Robin Hill, my girl, Robin. um, And that was at the camp when I saw Robin Hill talk about the PTSD childhood PTSD, and I learned about trauma. Because I never knew I had. If somebody says you got trauma, PTSD, I don't even know what that was, even up to the point of me going out to the camp when I left off with. So when I heard about that and I started digging into trauma and PTSD and I started realizing how that has affected me and I had a victim mentality 
and I was stuck in a fight or flight response, this is the reason why a man will play basketball until he passes out is because I was extreme. I was an all-or-nothing generalization. Either you love me or you hate me. You know, like this morning, I was late calling you. Now, if you had been late, that meant, oh, Mr. Fleming, bullcrapper, man, he ain't for real, man. You know what I'm saying? And I, I, mean, I ain't talking to him no more because I was all or nothing. I was all or nothing because of my base mentality, because of how I perceived the events that happened in my life. I could not uh, remove myself from events. I was tied to every event that this call is originating from an Ohio correctional facility and may be recorded and monitored. When Robin uh, was on that television and was basically reading my soul, I'm like, wow. And that study showed me this is the difference. Remember I told you I was dependent upon environment. This was the freeing thought that now I understand I am the creator of environment, that I am not in love with accomplishments. I am not... Uh, confident because of my accomplishments, like not because, okay, I run a program. Okay, so what program, like right this this week, this cycle, this cycle, I feel like I failed my brothers. I failed them. I didn't do a good job. So does that make me a lesser person or whatnot? No. What I am confident in, the reason why it comes across as arrogance, it comes across as cockiness or whatever, is because I am so sure in my ability to accomplish, which is different. I know I... You have one minute. I know I put it in the work, and I have the ability to accomplish. This is the reason why I can stand in front of those men and apologize to them and tell them I will do better because I know that I, I can do better. I have the ability to do better, and I control that ability. So being free from that slave mind, from that victimized mind of it was my daddy, it was my mama, it was my environment, it was this. If I go to this joint, I could be a good guy. I could be bad here. No, 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 no. You've got to be who you are. And if you don't know who you are, it's tough. So... All right, Mr. Simmons, uh, I, I, I'm going to call back and check you out uh, sometime this week. Okay. And, uh, we'll see, I'm, looking, know, I'm looking for this email. I don't see the email. Where did, where did it come from? It should, maybe it's Robin Sharif. Nope. Uh, Robin Hill should be getting yeah, you should be shout out an invite for 6 o'clock. I have a re-signed it. Yeah. I, I mean re-signed it. I yeah, have a re-signed it. And is, is it Zoom? Yeah, Zoom. Okay. Yep. Yeah, make sure she send that to me. Okay, yeah. All right, right, bro. All right, man. Thank you for using GTL. All right. You know, uh, that Zoom I actually got on, he had me get on there, and I kind of moderated these other two brothers that that had been in prison with him that are out and working with his book club and his book for bruises. You know, they do events, you know, like every three months uh, in the Cleveland area. Uh, you know, he's kind of like the guy. I told him, I said, you like the kingpin <laughs> dope boy that's running everything out of prison because he's, he's running that program through the city. And that's when I was sending books to and all that kind of stuff. But we did a a call, um, this lady, Robin Hill, he was talking about. Uh, we did a call, and she it was a, like a, a five-hour deal one Saturday. And one part of it was the books. And so I moderated that on Zoom, and two of his guys that that are out that are that are readers that talked about how to change their life. I had those two guys on there and we went back and forth, you know, just conversing about, you know, books and stuff like that. But that's what he was talking about. But you know, his, you know, his program started after Mr. Man died. That's when he decided to put that stuff together because he's like, I, you know, 
I'm just not going to be just here because if, when you listen to some of the early clips that I'm going to play eventually, that's when he talks about earlier that, you know, how he wanted to give back and how he, he know that, you know, just killing a person, you know, he, he talked an hour about remorse, about what he did and how it affected everybody in the community and the world. But then he's saying, if I don't have a chance to, to give back, and, you know, why? I mean, what's the point? Just go and kill me now then. You know what I'm saying? Just go and get out of the way. But that's not – so so so. even though he wanted to do it, he didn't move on it until Mr. Man. So you know how we have we, – we got reasons we want to do something, but it's almost like we got to get hit in the head before we move on it. We almost got to have somebody, some kind of trauma or something happen to us before we really move on it because, like he said, that's, that was his plan anyway. But once Mr. Man died in front of him – he said, I got to get moving on this because I'm not going to – because whether he's leaving prison or not, I'm starting this program. And so he's running that program um, and been running it for the last year or two within the prison, but it's outside of the prison, um, which, you know, he's been putting that work in for that too. So, yeah, but if you listen – go back and listen to the – seriously go back and listen to the – he talked about his why, which you saw what happened there, changing his mindset, changing his environment. You know, it's interesting, too, about transferring, because I asked him, I said, man, you you were transferring from prison like colleges, and he explained, that's on another clip, how that happens, because you just can't do that. Because you heard him say, I was going to transfer here, transfer there, and I did, but, but you just, it's a way that you do that, and it's based on um, your activity within the prison. You know what I'm saying? It's almost like for you to do that, you know, it's based on that. Um, but... Uh, that was number five. So we, we started at six and we're going backwards kind of. But, you know, that folder, too, if you heard how emotion he got when he got that folder, he changed his life, put his glasses on, pulled his pants up, you know, started acting differently. Um, but you, you just imagine, man, you're going in at 19 and you're growing up within the prison system. But he mentored and changed himself. You know, he, he talked about is a lot of everybody around there. It was a few guys, I mean, that really – was in the program that he was in. Everybody else was just getting up every day watching television. And that's all he did all day long. And he had to separate himself from that uh, and do that. So, all right, folks, that's it today. Go back and listen to the replay again, like I said, and check it out. You know, take notes from it or whatever. You got questions from it. Maybe we can Maybe we can discuss it on Wednesday or, you know, I just move to another topic or something. But it depends on kind of like what y'all, you know, want to do with that. But, you know, please do. And if you got somebody else that need to hear that, let them hear. You know what I'm saying? You might have, you know, I don't know. You know, I don't know if anybody that you might know might even be prepared to hear that, you know, because there's a lot of guys that, you know, just not there. They're just not, you know, not going to change. So, but you might have a uh, somebody that's, you know, that you think might need to hear that. So there you go. You got it. All right. No no mystery of what's today. We gone. It's a long time. All right, we're out of here. I'll talk to you guys later. But listen to the replay. Bye.